You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. For those of you who don't know, I'm Ledger, and this is my past. And a lot of you came to Jesus, and a lot of you came to a church somewhere, and they said that they could set you free from this. But years later, you look and you still have chains wrapped around you, and you see that the weight that you've been dragging through life is affecting everything you do, every relationship, everything. Your relationship with the church, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with the rest of your family, your relationship with Jesus, it's all been affected by this. So we're going to talk about the past today, and we're going to talk about what God gives us, and maybe some lies that you've been told. So let's pray. Jesus, one thing we all have in common in this room, and it's why we can sing really loud, it's why we can love each other, God, is that all of us had a past before we came to you. And Lord, a lot of us are still haunted by them. God, the church is silent on what to do with it and real action to take. So Lord, I pray that as we open up your scriptures, God, Lord, that you'll give clarity, and Lord, that you'll speak through your Holy Spirit. So God, if there's anything in our lives, Lord, that would hinder that, And mine, Lord, in the audience, God, uh, Lord, we pray that you'll remove it. And God, we just want you to get all the glory. And so we just pray all this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Uh, You go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 12. This is the first time I've ever used one verse as my primary passage, so I'm nervous. But I've been thinking about the past, and I've been thinking about God's will for our past for several weeks now, especially when it comes to sexual sin, and we're going to talk openly about that. And as I thought about it, I'm reading scriptures, I'm taking notes, I'm looking at what theologians, past theologians have said. And I'll be honest, I just come up here with a pile of scripture, a few points, and some really good points from other godly men. But we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, 21. Paul, at the end of his letters, usually he will give quick direction. I want you to do this. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do this. Oh, yeah, tell Johnny to wash the windows, right? Uh, quick direction. And that's what he's doing here in 2 Corinthians. And in verse 21 he says, I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past 
and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. And so as we talk about the past, first of all, if you Google what is a Christian supposed to do with their, pa- their past, you'll be taken to a bunch of fluffy blogs where people tell you that they can set you free from their past. You just drop it, forget about it, move on. And a lot of them will use the phrase, the past is the past. And I know what they're trying to do, and I, I'm, I'm sincere, and I know that they're sincere in what they're trying to do. They're trying to get people to be free from sin and free from the memory of their sin. And so they give a false promise of the past is the past, and you can forget the past and move on. And usually they'll take Paul out of context, and, out of context in Philippians chapter 3, when he says, forgetting what is behind me, I press onward. But what he was talking about were works of righteousness. And so what they do is they give you a false image of what God can do in your life with your past, especially when it comes to sexual sin. And so I had all of this scripture, all of these different angles that we could come from with this message, but I feel like God wants us to keep it simple. And so we have two main points with a few subpoints. First, we're going to talk about how the past can be hurtful. The past can be hurtful, and we're talking about sinful past. If we deny it, if we say the past is the past, forget it and move on, what happens is is believers do that, Christians do that, and they find themselves in a world that they create. It's a universe, it's hard to deal with these people because they're delusional, and some of you, and I have been at times in my life, delusional. I've created a universe where I'm no longer wrong, I'm the victim, everybody else is wrong. And now I have to live with it. The only problem in this universe is that I actually create my perception of God. And instead of taking the perception or the reality, the truth of God that's presented in the scriptures, I take my own perception of God and I put him into my universe so that I can deal with my past. And so we go for year after year after year denying our past, acting like it never happened, Some of you grow up in families where everything swept under the rug and nobody did anything wrong. And you cheapen grace when you do that. So one of the worst things that we can do is just live in denial of the past because we usually end up becoming a delusional person and what we hear from God is really what we want to hear from God. So, the question, should we remember the past? And so we talk about, there's a few verses and I tried to study up to make sure I was ready for this. Because there's not really that many voices talking about what a Christian's supposed to do with their sinful past. And so I look and see where past sin is in the scriptures. Some people will take you to Isaiah 43 where God tells his people to forget what happened long ago. Well then I would just turn right back around and take you to Isaiah 46 where he tells you, hey, remember what happened long ago. Um, Over and over again, God tells people that he wants them to recall. And so here's what I want to point out. God can choose to forget sin. He can blot out transgression because he's God. But nowhere in the scriptures will you be told that a Christian is to forget their sinful past. I know the Bible students are thinking, what? This can't be true. But you won't find it anywhere where God tells you to forget your sinful past. But you will find where Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 And you can go ahead and turn there. 1 Corinthians in chapter 6. We start in verse 9. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, not, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So Paul recalls our sinful past. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Man, Bible drillers would really tear us up. But, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I thank, Jesus, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he has considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus." Over and over again, verse 15, it says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And so a lot of the fluffy bunny blog people would come in and say, Paul, what are you talking about? God set you free from your past. Why are you even recalling it? Why do you feel shame about it? You're free in Jesus. And Paul understands that. He literally wrote the book. And so... He's able to recall his past, his sinful past, and he's able to use it to propel him into God and use it to propel him in his walk with the Lord. Those who deny the past will usually end up justifying it. If you say that it never happened, the moment somebody questions you or you have anything that flashes back from your past, you will eventually justify what you did. It's the person that is unfaithful to their spouse where eventually they get tired of hearing about it and they say, you didn't love me like you were supposed to or you don't know what kind of place I was in. You don't know what was going on with me. They justify it and they don't have to take responsibility for it anymore because they denied it. They'll either justify or deny it They'll defend it, or they will transition from that point on and become the most stark judges that you know, because they've forgotten how far they've come. They've forgotten what Jesus rescued them from, and now they become the judge for everybody else. The Pharisees are a good example of this. They had experienced what the Old Testament law had preached and they took that law and they forgot all of their shortcomings and they begin to preach it and hammer it down on the people. And then they'll either justify or defend it. They'll judge others without mercy. And over and over and over again, this is true, they'll repeat it. If you don't process your past and you don't deal with the past and you don't let Jesus walk you through your past, you will repeat it. And you know what's crazy is that some people are like, I, I won't repeat it. Your children will. We see that in the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham's a great guy. He literally eats dinner with God, right? And so he goes through life. What's his one major, a few major sins, but one of them is that he, told, he tells lies 
to get out of hard situations. And so eventually, he raises up Isaac. Abraham's still a man of God. He, uh, I said this past week, the sign of a Christian isn't perfection, it's conviction. Um, and so he's not a perfect man, but he lives by God's convictions on his life. But he raises up Isaac, and Isaac struggles with the same sin. And so Isaac lies the same lie. And then Jacob comes along, and his name is Deceiver. And we get to see him when he wrestles with the angel of the Lord, finally come and deal with his past. And so over and over again, we see people that don't know how to deal with their past, so they just deny it. And they'll give you really good-sounding spiritual answers for why they do it. And some of it will be true, but God never tells us to forget it. He tells us to look, admit to it, confess. And so they'll deny it. And then we all know these people, people that claim to be a Christian, but they delight in their sinful past. Men have this trouble more than anybody else. Because a lot of times the culture's shown what a man's supposed to be in the media, and he's usually just a goof, goofy guy, a drunkard, he's a ladies' man, sleeps around a lot. And so guys feel like it's okay to joke around about where they were. And so they can delight in their sin. Some men will f- fantasize about women that they've been with or people that they've been with in marriage. They're delighting in their sinful past. Some guys, when they get around, they'll start joking around about the times they got so drunk, the times they got so high, the times that they woke up with somebody in bed, and that is not a believer. It's not a believer walking with Jesus, that's for sure. Isaiah 53.5, let's just turn there real quick. A lot of you, you heard this at Easter. It's really popular. Isaiah 53.5 says, But he, speaking of Jesus, was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. If you delight in the, in the transgressions and the iniquities that caused Jesus to go to the cross... I can assure you, you don't know him. And so for the believer, when we look back on our past, and it's not often, we don't dwell on the past, but when we look back on our past and we see what we did and we see the cost that Jesus had to pay for it, it grieves us. It pushes us to worship. But we know people that delight in it, and it shouldn't be that way. Uh, Thomas Fuller made this statement. He said, in reference to sorrow for our past sin, he said, this is a continual dripping or running river, keeping a constant stream. My sins, saith David, are ever before me. So also is the sorrow for sin in the soul of a child of God, morning, evening, day, night, when sick, when sound, fasting, at home, abroad, ever within him. This grief begins at conversion, continues all his life, and ends only at his death. It pushes us to worship. But a lot of times we see people deny it. A lot of times we see people delight in it. I, see, I think we see that combined when there is a spouse who's been caught up in sexual sin for a long, long time, and they continue in a form of their sin. 
A lot of times, this is what we do in the church. We have somebody, they struggle with sleeping around. As a minister, we hone in on that. We need to address it, and that we do. But usually there's a vast number of other things that are affecting that one's sin. And so usually it's somebody that has issues with God. It's the single that's mad that they haven't been given a spouse. Therefore, they feel like they can use pornography or they can be sexually active or it's the married man who him and his wife have arguments so he justifies continuing his former sin in the form of pornography in the home or going out and having sex with a stranger and so these are people that deny their past they don't admit to what they've done they don't say that they were the problem and then they still delight in the sin just a different form of it it's the woman who she doesn't sleep with other men but she flirts with a lot of men the lust is still there. It's the, the spouse that's so caught up in pornography, or they've been so caught up in pornography, that it's skewed their view now of their partner, and they can't sleep with them because that past sin is still affecting their marriage today. Well, I don't look at pornography anymore. Yeah, but you have a crazy view of what your wife is supposed to do and what she's supposed to look like. So people deny it. They delight in it. Or they take this, and they'll do this either way, they'll drag it into every part of their life. This is the person that can never move on because their past is still bringing them down. If we turn to Luke 18, verse 9. I want to go ahead because we won't take too much time. But Luke 18, and we start in verse 9, Jesus gives this parable, verse 9. And he told also this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so Jesus says, listen, two people come. One is supposedly post-conversion, a disciple of God, a follower of God comes and he's prideful, he's arrogant, and he leaves unjustified. The other comes back with his past and his sin weighing on top of him and he's actually beating himself saying, God, I'm not worthy. I'm not even worthy to look up to you. I'm a sinner. And that's where we see the power of the past. In contrast with God's glory, it breaks us. That's why Paul calls the Ten Commandments the law. He says that it's a tutor that brings us to Jesus. Because I look, wait, here's all of the law, and here's my past, here's my actions. They don't add up, and I'm broken. But how many people are here today, and they feel like they can sing, they can pray, or they can be proud in this sanctuary... And usually these people don't worship. And they feel like their righteousness is pretty good. 
So people will either deny the past, they'll forget and move on, they'll say the past is the past, and it'll hijack every relationship and every, every part of their life, or they will continue to delight in their past. They'll acknowledge it, they'll take joy in it in certain crowds or occasions, or they'll drag it everywhere they go, they'll ruin other people's lives, they'll ruin relationships, ruin communities, because they have this horrible past that follows behind them. So that's where the past, how the past can be hurtful. How can the past be healed? And we see it in our primary passage with first, wait, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. Paul's worry isn't that people used to be sinners. Paul's worry is that Many of those who have sinned in the past and have not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. Uh, Everybody knows Martin Luther, right? The Reformation happens, 95 theses nailed to a door or a place, right? Thesis number one has to do with the continued admission of guilt, a life of repentance. And I think we actually get away from that, and I think it's biblically true what he says there. Because for the Christian, we always think, have you had a moment where you repented of a sin? Luther was saying, you live a life of repentance of that sin. And so over and over again, you see Paul talk about endurance. Endurance with the life of a Christian is like the endurance of the race of a runner. They make it through the marathon. Let's say they make it 12 point, wait, 13.2 miles. What? I can't remember. They make it halfway through the marathon and they pass out. All right. Endurance quotient zero. They didn't make it. But a lot of believers have repentance. They have a walk with God for a part of their life. And we think they're great. And we think they're Christians. But endurance in the life of a believer is when you die. Were you there? When you die, were you following Jesus? And so, how could your past be healed? It's repentance for life. And so, over and over again, you see this, and we'll use the marital example of an unfaithful spouse. Eventually, they deny, they justify their sin, but really, what ends up happening is they want to leave it behind them, and they don't want healing, they just want everybody to shut up about it. And so this is my advice, and this is what I believe the scriptures teach for that marriage. That we as sinners always admit to our guilt. And for the spouse, and God brings healing. I don't want you to think you have to argue about this every day. But for the spouse that messes up, so many fights will be avoided and healing will happen much, much quicker if they say, I was wrong. I sinned against God. And I hate that I did it. And I wish I, I wish I could go back and change it, but I can't. But that's not the reaction we get, is it? So, there were a few questions that I wanted us to answer that I don't believe are answered anywhere. So, this is hot stuff. <clears throat> what do I do if I have a spouse with a history? And let's say this. Let's say it's your history and your spouse is dealing with it. 
Whether it's in the past before you met Jesus or whether it's in the marriage while you sinned and were sinning against God, continued admission of guilt is key. A lifetime of repentance is key. So when it comes to your history dealing with your spouse or dealing with other believers, you always have a continued admission of guilt. So repentance for life. And then we have more questions coming up. That was a letdown. Restitution where needed. All right? Restitution where needed. So here's the question. Usually the Bible says, if, and Leviticus is full of it, like if you do this, you need to do this. So if you commit this sin, go do that, 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 and then this. All right? And so Leviticus, when it comes to adultery, when it comes to sexual sin, in 20, chapter 20, verse 10, you know what the only restitution for adultery is? Death. And if we looked at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 26. He's talking about adultery. He says, for on account of a harlot, verse 26 of chapter 6. On account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread, an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Verse 27, here's the key. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Some of your translations say, can he heat burning coals into his lap? So is the one who goes into his, neighbor, into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery with the woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not, this is no restitution, he will not accept any ransom. Nor will he be satisfied, though you may give him many gifts. He will only be satisfied when you're dead and gone. So we look at sexual sin. Where's the restitution? What can I do in this, my history? What, all of the stuff I've done, all of the relationships that I've ruined, all of the marriages that I've brought hell to, what do I do with that? And the Bible says there's nothing you do with it. It paints the picture that there is no restitution. So here's one of the big questions that will come up. What is my responsibility to Jesus regarding someone I've slept with outside of marriage? We take the principles of the scriptures that we've read. There's no restitution. Stop trying to make yourself feel better. Live with conviction. Let it push you to grace and glorify God, right? There's no restitution, but here's, I believe, a scriptural principle that we can use when dealing with our responsibility to Jesus regarding people that we have failed with. First, if you're in a family, we go 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32 and 33. I'll paraphrase. Paul's talking about, he says, if you're single and you can remain single, stay that way. He says, because for the married person, they'll be worried about worldly things, their spouse, how to please their spouse. Paul makes an assumption here, a holy assumption, that if you're married, your family is your first ministry. You're not called to reach any soul except for the spouse. They're priority number one. 
And so Paul doesn't actually say that it's a bad thing or condemn it. He says that it's a truth, and if you want to not have to be in that situation, and you can be single and stay pure, stay single and be pure. But what he assumes here is that marriage and your family are your number one ministry. Second, so that means this person that you have a past with, you respect your spouse enough to stay away from them. And I think we take a Leviticus 20.10 principle of, I'm not going to die, but I can die to a relationship. I can die to a temptation. So, what happens if a confrontation or encounter occurs with this person? Everybody goes to Walmart, so you're probably going to run into them. The key words, if you have to talk to them, I trust you to be submissive to the Holy Spirit because some, sometimes the Holy Spirit may say, get out of here, run, drop the milk, get out of here. Other times when the confrontation occurs, I believe there's these truths that you can share. I've repented of that. Jesus has cleansed me of that. And I have absolute disgust for what happened. I hate it. If you're a woman and you run into a man that you've, that you've uh, sinned with, you will not make your husband any happier if you do that. I repent of it. It was gross, disgusting. I hate it. And Jesus saved me from it. If you're a guy, nothing will make your wife feel more loved and more secure than when you run into somebody. Don't witness to them. Witness to them by this. This is my testimony regarding me and you. I have repented of it. Jesus saved me from it. And that disgusts me when I recall it. Because it's why Jesus went to the cross. God never will call you to neglect your family or send your family to hell to, ha to save someone else. We see that with Lot. Don't use God's work for your remaining lust. A lot of husbands, they are ladies' men before they get married. And they're not ladies' men per se after they get married. But they feed off certain relationships with women. They like the ego boost of a woman admiring them or making eye contact with them or him knowing that he could sleep with her. That's just as sinful as if he did sleep with her because he has a lust of the flesh. He has something inside of him and it looks different, but it's still unholy, it's sinful, it's ungodly. And so don't use God's work to feed your remaining lust. So we have repentance for life. How can your past be healed? It's repentance for life. It's not a moment or a revival. That may be the, the, the beginning, but it's never the end. It's restitution where you can give it. And there's some places that God says, leave it alone. Leave that marriage alone. And then there's the redemptive view of our past. We go to 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> This is where we have Paul recall his sinful past. And this guy's an apostle. I mean, well, yeah. We have this early church leader who says in verse 9 of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He's recalling sinful past. From, as far as I know it, Paul didn't persecute the church after he got saved, right? 
So here's what he does. He recalls his sinful past, and this is the redemptive view. Verse 16. I mean, wait, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. A redemptive view of our past pushes us to the grace of God. And it's why, it's why whenever we sing Jesus paid it all, that we get excited, we get emotional, tears come down, hands go up. We want to come down here and pray because when we think about how wretched and sinful we are, it pushes us on how gloriful and how glorious God is, and it pushes us to give him glory in our lives. And so some of the people that worship the least are people that forgot their past. And some of the people that worship the most are people that remember their past and remember just how far Jesus went to buy them out of it. And it pushes them to, it pushes them to holiness. We see that with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. And then we see it in Psalm 130. Verse 1, out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Key. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness. And with him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So a redemptive view of our past, it only pushes us to give God glory. If somebody forgets their past, they'll eventually look like Matthew 18. And we see this parable that Jesus tells of the unforgiving servant. And what happens is two men owe a ruler money. One owes a great sum and one not so much. The one that owes a great sum, the ruler calls in and he forgives both of their debts. The one that owes a great sum, he immediately goes out and finds somebody that owes them money and he says, give me my money. And he throws them in jail because they can't. And Jesus says that the ruler looks at him and says, you didn't, well, let's make sure we read it right. Let's go to Luke 18. Wait, Matthew 18. Sorry, y'all. The Lord says in verse 32, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Last question. I have a spouse with, let's say you have, your spouse has a history. How do you deal with it? Matthew 18. 
You meet somebody and they've messed up. And you see that they've been saved by Jesus. You see a lifetime of repentance. You see a process of repentance as they are being made more and more like Jesus every day. You see that they've given restitution where they could and they've told you, they've been open with you, they've shared with you their past. Then God calls you to have a redemptive view of their past. So what do you do with a spouse with a history? Last night I just decided I was just going to read Hosea. And so we look at this prophet that God says, go and marry a harlot. And she's going to cheat on you, and she's going to cheat on you, and just when he thinks she's done, she's going to cheat on you again. And he calls him to love her. Because she's, she and his relationship is symbolic of God's relationship with his people. And so this is what I would push us in a redemptive view of our past. We look at it and we know that we're in process with God, that God saved us from it. And he doesn't just, he wipes it away and we get to go to heaven, but we can look back on our past and we can remember things that we've done wrong and it pushes us to his grace. And it's a long-term picture. If we wouldn't say this, some people would have come down, they would have prayed a prayer and they would have expected to get up and never deal with their past again. But it's a long-term picture as God lets you see the redemptive view of your past. Walk with Jesus. If your spouse has a past, you have to walk with Jesus. He's the only one that will give you the right counsel in a lot of times. Follow James' advice and be angry and sin not. It should make you angry. You should be upset the same way that God gets upset with us when we fail him, but we don't sin. We continue in loving relationship with Jesus and with our spouse. Some of you in your past, we've been talking to predators, we've been talking to the people that were wrong, but some of you were wronged in your past. We have victims in the room, and it's actually, if you look at statistics, it's scary how many people have been sexually abused uh, in their past. We don't have much time, but I just want to encourage you that Jesus is perfect. He's worthy to be trusted, and only he can heal your past. So walk with them. In closing, what is your emotion to your past fueled by? And I want everybody to ask this question. When you think of your past, whatever emotion you feel, some of you feel indifferent. You're not saved. You don't care. Some of you, your opinion is only yourself's opinion. So you look back and you think it's okay, or you look back and you don't like it, And so there's self-laceration. So it's the opinion of self, the reason that you feel your emotion about your past? Is it the opinion of others? Are you worried about what people think? Because the opinion of self gives self-laceration. The opinion of others just brings shame. And some of you, you would not be ashamed if nobody knew. Or is it the opinion of God that matters? Is it the opinion of God that fuels your emotion when you think about your past? Is it the fact that we've sinned against a holy God and there's no hope outside of Jesus? Because that pushes us just to living repentance. So what fuels your emotion about your past? And let me ask you this. Will your past haunt you for the rest of your life? Or will your past push you to God's grace? 
Some of you today, you don't think about your past. You buried it down deep a long, long, long time ago. And because of that, it's haunted every relationship that you've been a part of. I know that with addiction recovery, usually the addiction's not the issue. It's what led up to the addiction, and it's what surrounded the addiction. All of these thoughts, all of these things inside of your mind that caused that. Most of them having to do with your soul. And so to address that problem, to address that issue, there's all of these other things that have to be dealt with. And so for some of you, God is saying it's time to unpack your past and it's time to deal with it. That means that you're going to have to acknowledge it. For some of you, for the first time, you're going to have to repent of your past. You've forgotten it. You've hidden it away. You look really good on the outside. You learn to dress better. You learn to act right. You learn to keep your mouth clean. And you do all of these things, but you're still that person in your past today. And so Jesus wants to heal you of it. And so for some of you, you need to get saved. If you've never dealt with your past before, you're not a Christian. Because the Bible says that we have to come to an understanding that we have to repent, that we are sinful and only Jesus can save us. So for some of you, you have to call on Jesus to be saved. For others of you, you're, you're believers, but you don't walk with Jesus. You don't read your Bible. You never pray. And you've forgotten your past and what God's brought you from. And you're just a dubious religious person that doesn't do anything for God. Your past haunts you. And then for some of you, your past has been just defrauding relationships all around you. And you need to cry out to God again and hand him your past. This is the beautiful thing about your past. It never goes away. You'll carry it all through your life. You're going to drag it behind you. You're going to drag it into relationships. You're going to drag it into marriage. You're going to drag it into churches. But the great thing about Jesus is this. He blots out your iniquities because of what he did on the cross. And he says, you know what? Your past exists, put it on my shoulders and I'll carry it. And so this is what I want us to see about our past. Our past doesn't disappear, our past is seen in Jesus. And so no matter what you've done, no matter who you've hurt, as long as you're broken and repentant, Jesus takes that. But for some of you, you've been, it's been so long since you've actually talked to him and read his scriptures you have no idea where you are right now. And so I'd encourage everybody to ask this question. What opinion fuels my emotion about my past? And what is my emotion about my past? Let's pray. Jesus, God, we, we are a broken people in a broken church. Lord, all of us have sinned. And God, if you kept a record of wrongs, none of us would be able to stand. God, none of us is worthy. So God, there's been times that I've meditated on scripture or in times of worship, and God, uh, even Satan has thrown my past back in my face. But Lord, all it did was push me to worship you more because of what you saved me from, Jesus. So God, I pray for the souls in here, Lord. God, for the souls that we interact with. God, if we could see past in a visible form, it would look like those weights with chains wrapped around people. And God, your scriptures say that you gave us freedom. So Lord, right now, for the people in this room, God, I pray that you will tell us what to do with our past. 
God, that we'll read your scriptures, we'll submit to your spirit, and God, it won't be fixed today. It won't be fixed in the next 15 minutes. But God, that it can begin something, God, that continues through our life, Lord. And God, continues through generations. Because we've come from families, Lord, where they just ignored wrongs, they just accepted people, and Lord, they didn't accept you and your truth. So Lord, we pray that, God, we won't be hurt by our past anymore, Lord, but that we'll be healed by what you do with it. God, when we come into confrontations with people that we've seen and, God, people that we've sinned with or against, Lord, God, give us your grace. God, give us your discernment. Uh, Lord, we pray this all in your holy name. If everybody could stand. Uh, my prayer is this, is that this sermon wasn't meant for you to drudge up old memories, to get really sad, or to have d- issues with depression. This was all to get us to give our past to Jesus, and to really deal with our past and who we are. You can't not acknowledge who you are and acknowledge who Jesus is. Because the Bible says that we are sinful in nature, and without Jesus, we'll go to hell for it. And so some of us need to look in our past and recognize our sinful nature and go to battle with it with Jesus by our side. So the altar's open, the counselors are coming down, and my prayer is that you'll just submit to Jesus.